We've declared war on work as a society, all of us. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up. That no people on earth are so fearless or daring or determined. The world is not driven by greed. It's driven by envy. This is the most macro environment as I've ever seen. Undercapitalized, the wrong people, bad market conditions. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The first turning is a high, an upbeat era of strengthening institutions and weakening individualism when a new civic order implants and the old values regime decays. The second turning is an awakening, a passionate era of spiritual upheaval when the civic order comes under attack from a new values regime. The third turning is an unraveling, a downcast era of strengthening individualism and weakening institutions when the old civic order decays and the new values regime implants. The fourth turning is a crisis, a decisive era of secular upheaval when the values regime propels the replacement of the old civic order with a new one. That's an excerpt from the book called The Fourth Turning, An American Prophecy, What the Cycles of History Tell Us About America's Next Rendezvous with Destiny. It's by William Strauss and Neil Howe. A pretty mind-blowing book. Um, The Fourth Turning being a crisis. We're going to talk about a bunch of different crises today. Um, First one, financial. It's pretty obvious. There's some weird financial crap going on right now. One with the banks. Uh, Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank is starting to have some problems. Um, Obviously, Silicon Valley Bank I talked about in the last episode. Rampant inflation. We're going to talk more about what inflation is going to look like in the hopefully not so near future. Uh, Financial debt, all different kinds of debt. Credit card debt is the highest it's probably ever been, at least in my lifetime. And uh, other kinds of debt, like various loans, um, a lot of debt when it comes to real estate. Um, Out in Joshua Tree National Park in Southern California, there was a lot of people out there that were buying a bunch of homes um, for Airbnbs. And if they bought them at the top of the market, they were buying homes that were basically nothing. They'd spruce them up to make them look cool, but it was just a basic house. And there was homes going for $600 plus $1,000. A lot of those people in the Airbnb market, they might've got approved for those loans or they had investors come in. The issue is that when things get more expensive and and tourism dies down, that bill, that payment every month gets bigger and bigger. At least it feels bigger and bigger. Um, and a lot of people are going to start defaulting on their loans if they got in at the top of the market because they were told, now's the time to buy. You better buy now. And then interest rates rose and people are going to start defaulting on their on their loans. I think at the end of 2021, there was about 13 point something, 13.5 million homes in foreclosure. And that was coming off the back of all of the shutdowns where there was the the uh, whatever that thing's called, where the the rents were not having to get paid. So the homeowners or the property owners were still on the hook for their payments and their property taxes and everything else, but the tenants weren't required to pay 
And a lot of people got screwed on that. So that's one. That's the financial crisis. Then we have the other one right now. It's kind of it's kind of interesting. Um, we're having a, a crisis of identity, I think, in this country. There's a big one after the the shooting in Nash, Nashville at the school where the the three kids and the the three elderly teachers, I think, a principal was killed by a a trans person. So we're having a, a gender identity issue. And on the on the on that topic alone, it's not just the the people that are having that issue. It's also, in my opinion, the people that are they're supporting that mental health issue. And I mean the White House basically instead of feeling sad for the people that died in Nashville, the kids that died. They're basically saying that the trans community is being attacked right now. I mean, I could go on and on about all of that, but that's a big, that's a big issue. Um, we have a crisis of faith and this isn't just Christianity. This is across all religions. People are losing their faith in and what they would call a higher power. Uh, a big example of this is Israel basically is banning anything that has to do with Jesus. Not just, you know, Jewish people saying that he wasn't the son, the son of God like they always have. They're, they're straight out saying like, we're, we're banning anything having to do with him which is crazy because Israel has always tout has always been touted as being the beacon of freedom in the Middle East. I mean, Israel has always basically bragged about how the fact that they have Christians and Muslims living together. There there's so many Christians and so many Muslims that are they're okay to go to Israel. And they were the beacon of freedom in that region and now there's a deliberate attack on that. And that's just one sample of the the identity of faith conflict. There's a lot of people that are, you know, I talked about this in a couple episodes ago where people are bringing their, their cards in close when it comes to business, instead of working together with other people and, and building community, they're, they're pulling their cards in close and expecting, well, since everything's screwed up, it's on me. I just got to do it by myself. And that's the exact opposite of what should be taking place when times of crisis happen. Um, this leads into the next one. We're having a identity crisis when it comes to our, our patriotic duty in America or just the fact that we don't know what being an American means anymore. Uh, there was a poll recently that was taken where that, that number of how people feel, no matter what political aisle you're on, how they feel about patriotism and their patriotic duty toward America by being American, united, and that is declined very rapidly recently. And you look at all of the division that's happening in, in the U.S., whether it's mask or no mask, or it's vaccine or no vaccine, or it's black versus white, or it's gay versus straight, or trans versus whatever. We're having a, an issue with feeling like we don't belong to anything. And I know that I'm talking to mostly 
business owners. And I've always said that business owners in their community, you're the leaders in your community. So if you start acting like that, then the people that work for you are going to start acting like that. The, the other people in your community are going to start acting like that. When you start making decisions that are divisive for your business or who you're going to serve or not serve, that all plays into it. And the next one is the political, obvious political division that's happening. But something more about the political division that I don't think people think about is 100% there's people at play that are trying to divide the United States. And it's hard to put a finger on who exactly those people are when we say they, they did this, they did this to us, it's us versus them. What does that even mean? Just from a simple political running a, a, a campaign, like a political campaign to get elected, most of the division is fabricated. That's why you always see the topic of race or the topic of abortion or the topic of, I don't know, whatever, whatever the thing is. It's always highlighted in the two years leading up to a political election. Well, this division is fabricated. And the reason it's fabricated to make it look worse than what's actually going on where, you know, I would say, I don't know, 80% of the population doesn't actually care about what the color of somebody's skin is or, you know, who you serve or who you're sleeping with or whatever. They don't care about that. They just want to live their life. Everybody wants a happy, healthy life for themselves and, them, and their families. But when it comes to elections, they fabricate things to make it look worse than it actually is to get people riled up. And the reason they do this is to make it easier to quantify who to target in the next election whether to influence culture or whatever they have to do to get people who would normally be on the fence to fall onto one side or the other of the fence. That way they know who their base is and they know who else to target. So that, go that goes for identity. And I'm going to talk about the next one. And this is a, this is a big one. It's going to lead into everything else I have to say today. We're on the brink of World War III. And this is not conjecture. I'm not just saying this to be trendy or something because people want to talk about World War III with Russia and Ukraine. I'm being serious about this. Iran, Russia, and China have created an alliance. And not just militarily, but through energy, uh, technology, um, that's a, it's a big deal because it's not just, when we talk about superpowers of the world, we always list, I don't know, top five. And militarily, the United States was always the top dog. We put so much money into defense that it was kind of ridiculous to think anybody else could go after us. But the biggest issue is that all of these other superpowers that were normally on their own, acting independently, they're creating an alliance together. And that is a much bigger problem for the United States, particularly on the economic side. Because even though money-wise, they don't put as much money into defense or the technologies they have 
don't compare to what the United States military has, but the regions in which they operate and the economic value that the regions that they're in, Ukraine, the, their ability to, the, the farming communities all around the world rely on a lot of the exports from Ukraine, natural gas, uh, China's manufacturing, all of that plays into effect. And when they start aligning themselves with each other, they become a much bigger problem. And it's been overlooked for decades. Uh, I, I said this in the last episode that China, basically they didn't officially say it, but they pretty much said that by 2025, China was going to invade Taiwan. The thing about that, that it's like, it's one thing to say that and be like, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, the conversation at the time was the semiconductor manufacturing that goes on in Taiwan where the whole world and they're wanting to go to everything being electronic. That's a big deal because those semiconductors go into everything. So I paid attention more to what was the business side of it that was affecting Taiwan if they were to get invaded. And I noticed that all of the companies that are in Taiwan manufacturing these, these microchips were starting to build in the U.S. Uh, big plants all across either the Southwest United States or I think there's one in like Ohio or Iowa or something like that. And they were going to start moving a lot of the engineers and a lot of the scientists and stuff from those, those plants in Taiwan over to the U.S. so they can continue the the manufacturing of the semiconductors. <clears throat> that is not a big deal when you're like, okay, well, they're just going to move. But it's a big tell on what the, the intentions of China are. Because if China knows that we're just going to move, I mean, the whole reason to take over Taiwan, even though they say it's because, well, they claim it as China, it's kind of irrelevant if there's not something that they're gaining from it. Like, what is the purpose of having Taiwan? Well, there's military purpose of where Taiwan is in the Pacific and the you know, South China Sea region. It's a big military advantage to have Taiwan. It's also, it would be a big advantage to be able to control the semiconductor uh, supply of the world. But if the United States and all those plants are going to be moving everybody to the United States anyways, they don't get that. They don't get that anyways. So why would they do that? And I think it's much more to do with uh, a show of force. It's also really crappy for the people that live in Taiwan because those people are just out of luck. They're just going to be invaded and that's just going to happen. But it's also a big tell about what our government is saying, the, the message that they're sending by actually bringing all of that manufacturing here it's basically telling the world that we're going to let China take over Taiwan. Instead of saying, don't worry, Taiwan, we got you. This isn't going to happen. We're basically bowing down and saying, go ahead and have it. And then moving on to the U.S.-Russia embassy was basically advised to ev evacuate. And that leads into another thing with the Russia-Ukraine deal where the snow is starting to melt in Ukraine. It's that time of year where things are starting to heat up. When that happens, 
things are going to start drying out and it's going to be easier to move troops and, and equipment. That's a, where all of the gains were made with the Ukrainian forces. They're now going to have to face an even stronger, even more prepared Russian army in the coming months. <clears throat> and then something that I don't think I, I even saw coming ever was Iraq and Iran are actually starting to form an alliance, which is like, it hasn't happened in, I don't know, probably a thousand years or more. So all of this stuff is happening and you're like, okay, but I own a business. I own a donut shop in Ohio. What does that mean for me? This is where I get into the, the BRICS nations. Uh, now turning into BRICS plus. And BRICS, if you don't know, stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Um, this was, uh, BRICS nations have been around for a while and no one really gave it any thought because it was like, well, we still control everything. The US dollar is strong. It's backed by oil or it was backed by gold. Like we have a soaring economy. Like the the GDP of the United States is so great. Like, it doesn't matter whether or not they are in this BRICS nations thing. It didn't matter before. Well, it matters now. And not only are those countries, I mean, I always, I already said Russia, China have formed an alliance. Well, Iran is looking to join BRICS. Um, Mexico is now looking to join the BRICS nations. And a big thing about Mexico is that a bunch of oil and lithium deposits were found recently. I mean, we always knew about the oil, but giant lithium deposits in Mexico. If Mexico joins BRICS, on its face, you're like, okay, again, who cares? But it's all of the nations of the world that are joining BRICS. And what this means is that they are not only challenging the U.S. as a superpower, but you have to look at the, the demographics of all these countries all going together. I mean, there's like hundreds of company or countries that are looking to join BRICS. And if you look at the resources in all the regions that are looking to join BRICS, it's all stuff that the United States imports. The big one, and this is like, we're talking endgame, which is already happening. Saudi Arabia put in an official application to join the BRICS nations. I said in my last episode episode eight that the the dollar was essentially after it was taken off the gold standard in 71 it was essentially backed by oil um it was the world reserve currency and yes people view it as the world reserve currency but anytime oil it doesn't matter what country is trading oil it was always in u.s dollars and that's basically what backed the u.s dollar was oil if saudi arabia joins BRICS officially The US, the U.S. dollar is no longer accepted for oil. Massive inflation is inbound, like massive. Because essentially what the BRICS nations joining together will do is basically say, um, we're not going to accept the dollar. And so the dollar is worth zero, nothing. By this point, 
These are, this is kind of how I view what's about to take place. You're going to have the Western world and then the BRICS nations. The Western world is because the dollar is going away, they're going to be forced to create some new kind of currency, something else. Because they don't want to give all of the leverage to the BRICS nations to now dictate the rest of the ongoings of the world. So this is where the central bank digital currencies come into play. And this is where the pilot program was done by the, the Federal Reserve. I talked about in episode three, when I talked about crypto, um, they had a pilot program where they were testing out different central bank digital currencies. Last year, President Joe Biden signed an executive order uh, allowing this program to continue and to like become operational in the future. And then there are, I think it was executive order 14067 was the like official number of it. And then uh, there's something that's been in the works in Europe, quite prevalent in Europe um, called ISO, what is it? 20022. I don't know why they picked those numbers, but that's what they picked. And that is basically the infrastructure behind central bank digital currencies. Things like XRP run by Ripple Labs, the one where the SEC sued the sued Ripple Labs. And uh, XLM, Stellar Lumens, uh, Algorand. There's different there's different crypto currencies attached to this program. XRP in particular, it was designed for bank transactions. So before where you would you would do like SWIFT payments or or something like that, you know, an ACH transaction, it would take like a, you know, a couple days for it to go through or a week or whatever, depending on the size of the transaction. This would be instantaneous transactions because it's on blockchain and it's it's quicker. And the, the fees to do it eventually would be super minimum. Well, it's looking like that is more of a viable option for Western world governments than anything ever before. Because in the meantime, while the U.S. is preparing uh, for central bank digital currencies and basically refusing to accept the fact that the dollar is worthless unless they back it with something else, the BRICS nations, many of, of which, I mean, there's like hundreds now that are starting to want to go on with BRICS, they've been hoarding a bunch of gold. They've been bringing in a bunch of gold. And if you look at the BRICS nations, maybe mainly the big ones, oil is a big exporter or a big export out of those countries. So this thing that the dollar used to be backed by is now in control of other superpowers in the world that no longer want to accept the US dollar. Um, the, the best way that I can kind of piece it together in your head is think of a World War II representation where you have the Western world with their CBDCs are called the allies and the BRICS nations are the Axis where they're backed by oil, oil and gold. In my opinion, oil and gold backing a currency is much more sound and there's a little bit less leeway for them to be able to corrupt it or to invade privacy or to create uh, social credit scores behind it to where 
you know, you can't buy anything if you said the wrong thing. Like I get banned for this podcast for even saying this and now I can't go buy groceries. If you think that's not possible, it's already been done in pilot programs around the country or around, around the world rather. Uh, I think that was in London. I want to say it was London, somewhere in England. There were grocery stores that were popping up that there was nobody working in them. And you would walk in, you would have to, it, it would do facial recognition to know who you were. And it would, depending on how much money was in your bank account, it would know who you were based on your facial recognition or by like your card that you would, you would swipe or whatever. And you could buy food, but it would lock everything and it only let you buy things that you could, that you could um, afford or if, you're, if it recognized your face. These are already like being tested around the world. So what does it mean for business? Well, just imagine for a second what a world looks like when the US dollar, you go into the grocery store, the rest of the world is saying they're not going to accept the dollar. It's no longer backed by gold. That's another thing is that with the Saudi Arabia joining BRICS, Saudi Arabia is making a deal with China right now to buy that they're going to do transactions with China in yuan, the Chinese yuan. It used to be in US dollars. Now they're allowing other things. Leverage that Russia has over Europe is that they told Europe, if you want our natural gas and our oil, you're going to have to pay for it in rubles. They're not accepting the US dollar anymore. And I don't blame them. Our government decided to print 11 plus trillion dollars in like three years. So I, it's hard to say where things are going to go, but these are the signs of what could happen. And the best advice that I could give is that if you're a business owner, you need to research like a maniac. And all of the information that I'm giving you is basically anecdotal. It's not like I'm sitting in these meetings with these big heads of state and hearing from the horse's mouth what exactly the evil plan is going to be. I'm doing research every day to find all this stuff out. You need to be doing it as well because if you're only getting your information from me, you're wrong. You need to be getting information from everywhere. And there's a lot of people out there that are much smarter than me that can talk about things in detail. But I, I have talked to many, many, many people in business and they are... They're not even at the level where they understand, where they didn't even know what BRICS was, where they didn't even know that what SVB was and what was going on with that. They don't know what the housing market's doing. They don't know any of this stuff because they think that their business has nothing to do with it. Well, what all of our businesses have to do with is the US dollar because that's what we trade in. And so you have to know all this stuff. You got to be able to prepare for an unprecedented event that is arguably way more impactful than the Great Depression, World War One, World War Two combined. Uh, just recently, the president of Kenya announced that they will no longer be accepting uh, U.S. dollar, along with many other African countries, who, by the way, have been starting to get super friendly with China. 
There is a base that China built in Djibouti, Africa. It's one of their biggest military bases, and it's right next to where the U.S. base is. Djibouti isn't that big. Um, China's been laying claim to all kinds of resources in Africa, which, not saying that the U.S. like colonized Africa and we were, you know, stealing up all their supplies and stuff, but Africa has a massive amount of resources. And with China going in, China's been doing this thing, particularly with ports, where they will go have a contract or sign a lease with some country like Italy, and they'll have a port. China will start breaching the contract. And Italy will be like, yo, what are you doing? You breached this contract. This is illegal what you're doing. You're not supposed to do that. And China, being the bigger superpower, basically goes, come at me, bro. In my opinion, they're taking a, a page out of the United States handbook of what we did. I'm about to read a, a book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman, where I've been told is a lot of explaining how all of that works. How we'll go into smaller countries and we'll get a bunch of leverage on them and basically make them do whatever we want. Things like examples of this are basically like what we did in in uh, Libya with Gaddafi. Gaddafi was getting ready to basically pull all the way out of using US dollars, created a currency for all of Africa, and they were going to take it off. And we know how things ended up for Gaddafi. I think Hillary Clinton was testifying Congress and she said something about like, we came, we saw, he died. Just flippantly talking about killing a, a world leader. Now, Gaddafi wasn't, you know, the greatest person. I mean, that dude was a piece of crap. Just like Saddam Hussein was. He was a piece of crap too. But the thing that the United States did was destabilize. They do this all the time. We destabilize certain regions and then we put in either some kind of proxy government or something. We've done it in Ukraine. That's exactly what Zelensky is. And we, we have so much leverage over the rest of the world. But it was because we were backed by oil and everything runs on oil and then we also had so much, you know, consumer power in the United States. We had so much leverage over all of these nations because of who the United States was. Well, now they're all aligning with each other and they all have resources that the United States needs. Now, we can get most of a lot of these resources in the United States, but with this push to Green New Deal and not allowing us to to mine or farm or drill in the United States because there's so much environmental push. It's really screwing the United States because we're getting almost zero leverage in the world and all of these other countries are starting to align and say, we're not going to listen to you anymore. United States, come at us. And that's where I think everything is headed. I got a whole bunch of notes here. So something that's really interesting about this fourth turning book, I'm not even all the way through it yet, but this book was written in, or it was released in, I think, 1997, before 9-11, before 2008 housing crisis, before Afghanistan pullout, before COVID. And it talks about the cycles that the United States goes through 
not just the United States, but everybody. I mean, it's more of a history book because it goes into like Roman Empire and the Greeks and all that stuff and how they looked at the cycle of humanity and how things worked. Um, it says American prophecy, but really I think they're just looking at history and being able to predict what's going to happen next. We are in a time of crisis and... I'm going to read you something else from this book real quick. So it says a prophet generation is born during a high, a nomad generation is born during an awakening. A hero generation is born during an unraveling and an artist generation is born during a crisis. As the silent have begun reaching retirement age, national leaders have shown less interest in making Public institutions do big things and more interest in making them flexible, fair, expert, nuanced, and participatory. Why? The elder artist is replacing the elder hero. You might have to go back and reread this to kind of piece it together in your head. But as boomers have begun turning 50, the public discourse has become less refined and conciliatory and more impassioned and moralistic. Why? The midlife prophet is replacing the midlife artist. As 13ers have filled the 20-something bracket, the pop culture has become less about soul, free love, and feeling at one with the world, and a lot more about cash, sexual disease, and going it alone in an unforgiving world. Why? The young adult nomad is replacing the young adult prophet. As millennials have surged into America's elementary and junior high schools, family behavior has reverted toward greater protection. Why? We are now raising the child hero, no longer the child nomad. When you compile these four archetypal shifts through the entire life cycle, you see how America's circa 1970s constellation has transformed into something new from top to bottom in the 1990s. That is why the nation has shifted from a mood of awakening to one of a unraveling. When you apply the secular knowledge, I'm sorry, secular logic forward into the OO decade, like the 2000s and beyond, you can begin to understand why a fourth turning is coming and how America's mood will change when the crisis hits. This was in the 90s, they were saying this. Why? How is it that they can basically predict when this stuff was going to happen. And it's, it's roughly every 20 years is when some big event happens and, you know, count backwards, 20 years, uh, 9-11. We're thrust into this long, long war and then count forward. The, the, this talk of the Great Reset, they're saying 2035 is when everything should be in place. I also have the other books that I picked up by none other than the evil genius himself, Klaus Schwab. I have the fourth industrial revolution. I have the great reset book that he did. And then the great narrative. I'm going to be reading those and seeing what exactly they're thinking about or what they're at least telling us. But, uh, in my last episode, episode eight, I talk about how you should position your company for the times ahead. And one is collaboration with your staff and other businesses. 
um, talking to them about wages, letting them know exactly what's going on with your business. Don't be vague about anything. Like if they're working for you, you want them to work for you and you want to work together, you have to let them know what's going on so you can all brainstorm. Don't just think that because you're the owner, you started the company and you're the big dog walking around that you don't need to talk to anybody. They're your team and they want their job too, just like you want your company. So you have to work together. It also requires you to take a deep dive into your own motivations for why you are in business. If your business is in crisis, you can bet that everybody else is too. So what are you doing to help them solve problems? That's all being a, a business owner is. You're just solving problems. Now, times are going to get tough for a lot of people moving forward, obviously. And so the real entrepreneurs, the real problem solvers are the ones that are going to shine. Is that you? That's all I got. This episode sponsored by my company, Homage Enterprises, where the motto is lift up. The only way we're going to get through hard times is by lifting each other up. Please share the podcast. Contact me on Instagram at the T-E-L underscore podcast or at my email that's listed in the description. Um, if you're wanting to be featured on the podcast, let me know. And uh, yeah, that's it. Good luck. And I'll catch you in the next episode.